Open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's the uh, last book in the Old Testament. Just go to Matthew and then go backwards if you get lost. God is a storyteller. God spoke the universe into existence by the power of His Word, and His Word is perpetually at work, even today. If history as we know it is a novel penned by the hand of God Himself, then the story of our lives has God as its author. But how do we know that? Have you ever stopped to wonder how it is that we know that God actually exists? The the characters in Tolstoy's Anna Karenina didn't know that Tolstoy existed. Frodo didn't know about the existence of Tolkien. Lucy didn't know about the existence of Lewis. You're probably thinking, okay, well, those are not real. Those are imaginary characters. They can't know about the existence of their author because they don't actually exist. Well, you got me there. But did you know that some authors have actually written themselves into the stories that they write? Stephen King famously did this in his magnum opus series, The Dark Tower. Uh, Comic book writer Grant Morrison did the same thing. He wrote himself into a series of his comics where he was apologizing to the characters for his bad writing. In this nonfiction adventure we know of as real life, God has done the exact same thing. He, the author of the story, has written himself in to make himself known to the characters of the story, us. And not only has he kind of vaguely made his presence known to us, He has spoken directly to us in this story. At certain points in the story, God has communicated to His creation in different ways. But He has been speaking since the beginning. As Francis Schaeffer, the famous theologian, has said, God is there, and He is not silent. This morning we'll be studying one verse. This is the first verse of Malachi, where God is speaking to His people a hundred years after they have finished the rebuilding of the second temple. This is one of those verses that we just kind of ignore in our Bibles. Anytime there's an introduction to a book or a closing to a book, we kind of just tend to pass over it. But this verse is here, and it's here for a reason. This verse in particular is here for a very important reason in the book of Malachi. So we're going to hang out here this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, and inspired word. Amen? God didn't have to speak to us, you know. 
Romans 1 said that in creation, when God said, let there be light, and when He created everything, Romans 1 says that God has already said all that He needs to say. He has communicated to us through His creation act. This communication that God communicates to us through creation, it's distinct from speaking. Nevertheless, it still communicates. You know from your own experience that sometimes some of the most potent forms of communication aren't verbal at all. The face that your spouse gives you when he or she is upset. The body posture of your child or teenager. A certain look or gesture can communicate a sea of information, even if a single word is never uttered. Paul, writing about humanity in Romans 1, says that we know all that we need to know about God through His non-speaking communication, His creation. It says it like this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Well, a picture is worth a thousand words. Apparently, the picture of creation is worth ten billion words. Paul goes on to say that as we live and move and breathe, we can see enough of God in creation to really, really know Him. The language that he uses in verse 20 says that we can clearly perceive God. Clearly. When God communicates Himself to us through His creation, He isn't communicating a blurry or a cloudy or a hazy picture. Paul says that it's clear. It's not just an outline or a shadow or a silhouette of who He is. It's a clear and distinct picture of who God is. He says that he communicates his attributes. You know what attributes are, right? You describe somebody, you say, yeah, she's short, she's blonde, she's smart, and she's funny, right? You're, you're kind of describing this person by her attributes. Well, Paul says that that's what we can know about God through creation. For his invisible attributes, the things that you cannot see, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So there's something about who God is that you can't see that when He creates, you now can see, and you can see it clearly. All of this through creation without saying a single word. What we learn from Romans 1 should affect the way that we understand Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. Because Romans 1 says that God has already said all that He needs to say. The whole point of Romans chapter 1 is Paul is saying, listen, even if God never said another word again in creation, He said enough, and you will stand condemned. But in Malachi 1, we see that the love of God leads him to say more. He doesn't just say, I, I've done what I need to do. I've done my part. Even in after creation, you see that God spoke to our father, Adam. He spoke to our mother, Eve, in the garden. He spoke directly to them. Even after they rebelled against him in the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God comes and he speaks to them again, even though he doesn't have to. He offers them a word of hope, a word of life. In Genesis 12, you see that God word, God's word goes out and gives life to Abraham, Abram. And then to his son Isaac and Jacob. 
God's Word creates a people where there was no people. Then later in the story, after God's people seemed to be on the edge of destruction in Egypt, suffering as slaves, God's Word calls Moses to Himself. God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, reveals Himself verbally to Moses. And then, not only that, He sends Moses to go and communicate verbally to His people. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now this is the point of the story where things begin to shift. Where things begin to get a little unique. It's at the point of Moses, the Exodus event, where God begins to speak primarily to His people through prophets. There were prophets before Moses. You think about Noah, he was a prophet. Even Abraham was called a prophet in the book of Genesis. But with Moses, you see the beginning of God communicating to a fully formed people. And you also see God begin to not really speak directly to His people. In the Scripture in Deuteronomy that we read earlier today, we saw that the people of God, the Israelites, after they heard the voice of God directly, they freaked out. They were terrified. They said, Lord, we don't want to hear Your voice anymore. And the Lord God said, okay, I'm going to speak to you through prophets. And so from the time of Moses on, God uniquely communicates to His people through prophets. Remember that a prophet is someone who speaks God's Word to God's people. At the very beginning of salvation history, God speaks His Word directly to His people. Adam and Eve in the garden. Moses in the burning bush, etc. But at Mount Sinai, God begins to adjust fire. If you want to see this for yourself, one easy way you can do it is to go to BibleGateway.com or to open up your ESV study Bible app or whatever app you may use and just type in the phrase, Thus says the Lord. Or if you're into the King's English and you think that the King James is the only inspired version, go to, Thus saith the Lord. And look how many times you see that in the Old Testament. Hundreds. Over a hundred times in the book of Jeremiah alone. Over twenty-something times in the book of Malachi. Thus says the Lord. There's one book where you won't find that phrase at all. It's in Genesis. It's because God doesn't begin to speak through prophets this way until the book of Exodus, after this time of Moses. Now, why am I giving you this biblical theology of prophecy, of God communicating to His people? Wouldn't this be something that would be better suited for a Sunday school class? Well, the answer is probably yes, and that will probably happen at some point in the future. But what really stood out to me as I was studying the first chapter of Malachi this week was that God seems to want to emphasize the fact that He's communicating to His people through Malachi. God is making a point to begin the book this way. As you read the rest of Malachi, as we spend the next eight, nine weeks in the book of Malachi, you'll see that the rest of the words in this book are, are just direct words from the Lord. The Lord is actually speaking to His people. His dialogue is the only dialogue. The only dialogue that's not the Word of the Lord is this very first verse here. And actually a couple of verses later in chapter 3. Why? Because the Lord wants His people to know that 
these 23 times in the book of Malachi that he says something where it says, God says, thus says the Lord, the Lord says. That's coming through a man. And God has a lot to say to his people in the book of Malachi. We're going to study things, marriage, divorce, love, corrupt priesthoods. That one's relevant for today. But before God gets into any of these issues, he communicates to his people about how he communicates with his people. And that's through a prophet. It's hard to trust the word of a man. Not, not like a man, male, men or dogs, that kind of thing. It's hard to trust the words of humans. Anyone can just say that what they're saying is from God. It's not that hard. The Lord told me to say. You all probably know someone who says, God told me, right? Maybe you've even been that person. Think about the young man in the church who says that God told him that he was supposed to marry this very attractive young woman in the life of the church. Ever heard of that one before? More dangerously, you probably know someone who says stuff like, the Lord wants me to tell you, but you should know that what Malachi, what he's doing in today's text, and what all of God's prophets did in Scripture, it was not a light thing. Communicating the Word of God is not a light thing. It's not a trifling matter. In Deuteronomy 18, God does not mince words about people who claim to speak for Him and who are wrong or who are lying. Any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name must die. Why is this warning so severe? Why does God care so much about false prophets? Well, consider what a prophet is. A prophet is like God's megaphone. God is speaking into the heart and the mind of His prophet. And then the prophet amplifies the word of the Lord out to the people on the earth. The voice from heaven comes down into the megaphone of the heart of the prophet and then goes out into the ears of the people on the earth. You're probably familiar with uh, Shakespeare, the trope where he, um, that he really started, where a young man is in love with a woman, but he's not really good with his words. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how to say it. And so his, he has sort of a love coach. And the love coach goes with him out to the, to the veranda and, and he calls out to her and she comes out onto the veranda. I hope I'm using that word right. But his love coach is in the bushes just a few feet back away from the man and he whispers, you know, tell her that her eyes are reflecting the moon, like whatever. And then the guy says, huh, okay. your eyes are reflecting the moon, like, right? And he's... he's He's whispering these words from behind the bushes. The man hears it, and then he repeats it. The modern equivalent of this would be, of course, walkie-talkie earphone. Probably be a lot more effective. But, guys, this is not what prophecy is. The Lord isn't hearing, the, the prophet isn't hearing the word of the Lord literally like somebody speaking into an earpiece. No. The word oracle in your ESV can also be translated prophecy. But that word can also be translated as burden. Burden. I think that word is helpful in 
helping us to understand what prophecy is. You see, a prophet is not an automaton. A prophet is not someone who just hears the Word of God whispered into his ear and then repeats that word verbatim. A prophet is a real person with a real mind and a real heart living in a real world in a particular context. And this prophet experiences emotions and burdens. But with a prophet, the burdens, the burden to speak to God's people, that burden is placed there by God Himself. Listen to how Peter says it. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. The desire to say something to somebody prophetically, no man has ever willed that. God placed it on his heart. But they spoke nonetheless. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the initiative didn't come from the will of man, but he feels it nonetheless. And as the man communicates the contents of his burden, his words are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Speaking of this same kind of thing in the New Testament, Paul says that these inspired words are actually, the word inspired, these words they are inspired, it means breathed out by God. This is the same language from Genesis 1 where God breathed life into the dust to make man. Dust was this lifeless feature. God breathed into it and gave it life. So as the prophet speaks, he speaks his words, human words, in his own particular language. And these dusty, lifeless words come to life when God carries them along, when He breathes life into them as they go out to His people. This reality is so potent that whenever a prophet speaks, God says, that He is speaking through Him. When a prophet utters a word, God says that the word spoken is actually His word. So as we read these prophecies of Malachi to Israel in the coming weeks, we must remember that these are the very words of God. I hope with this understanding of prophecy, you can reread verse 1 and not pass over it so lightly not just kind of breeze past it to get to verse 2 where we start talking about love. Read verse 1 again. The oracle or the prophecy or the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, to God's people by Malachi. Now that you have a better understanding of prophecy, I hope you understand that prophecy is not something that we should play games with. To claim to speak for God is to claim to have divine life in your words. To claim to speak for God is to claim to have the same power in your words that God has in His words. The kind of power that brings universes into existence. To claim to speak to God is to claim to have the authority of God. When God speaks through a prophet to His people, and that's what He's doing in today's text, He's speaking through Malachi to His people. When God does that, the word that He speaks is binding. It is absolutely authoritative. The only right response for God's people when, when God's word comes to them is to respond in obedience.
as your pastor, I might tell you, brother or sister, I think you should do that. Or maybe you should do this. You come to me, you say, Sean, I don't know what to do here. Grant, what, what, what should I do here? And we may speak and say, oh, I think you should do this, or you should probably do that. As pastors, we have to be very careful about the way that we phrase these kinds of things because we have to recognize that there's a difference between communicating God's Word to you and communicating our Word to you. God's ideas to you and our ideas to you. My Word is not binding in any way. My Word is not authoritative. My Word is not all-powerful, but God's Word is. That's why as often as possible, when I'm talking to a member of this church about something, I try to open up the Scriptures to make it clear and plain that His Word is the thing that does His work in your life as a people. To claim that your human words are God's words is to usurp God's authority. Like Adam and Eve in the garden who wanted to be like God, to claim to have a word from the Lord when you don't have a word from the Lord, is to try to usurp the throne of God like Adam and Eve. It's to try to be like God in our speech. False prophets bear false witness about God. They're lying. They're saying that God has said something when in fact God has not said something. False prophets hurt God's people, both temporally and eternally. False prophets hurt God's people here on earth now when they say, God says that you should, and if, and if that's not true, can you imagine how many ways that people can be hurt? Money that they can lose, relationships that can be damaged, trust that can be lost. But so often, people who claim to speak in the name of God when they actually don't are speaking heresy, lies, about who God is, about us, and about how we can be saved, which leads people to hell. Most fearfully for the false prophet himself, to prophesy falsely is to place oneself under the judgment of God, the same God whose word is capable of destroying not just their body, but their soul in hell. Brothers and sisters of this church, if you say to another member of this church, God told me to tell you, you need to have your Bibles open. You need to have a chapter and a verse number. Are you really sure that God told you to tell your neighbor that? Are you really sure? Are you sure that when you say that thing that you want to say, that you're acting as God's megaphone? Are you sure that you're not just communicating your own thoughts, the thoughts of your heart, which is not entirely trustworthy? Are you sure that you want to risk being wrong about something that is so serious, that God cares so much about, that God has spoken an obvious word of wrath against if you get it wrong? This reality is so light on us today because if you say you have a word from the Lord and you don't, we don't take you in the middle of the aisle and stone you. But we should probably church discipline you. Now you should know that there is a sense in which we as God's people today are still called to speak His Word to one another. Earlier we saw how at one point in time in salvation history 
God spoke to his people directly. But then we saw a shift, right? God began to speak to his people primarily through prophets. Well, there was another shift in communication that came later on in salvation history. That was when the ultimate prophet came. This is when the word of the Lord came to the earth. In John 1.1, which we read earlier, it says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John is writing about Jesus, of course. A little bit later, he says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In creation, God speaks His glory to us in one way. Through prophecy, God speaks His glory to us in another way. But the final and fullest way that God communicates His glory, His attributes, His presence to us, the final, fullest way that God speaks to us is through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is both the prophet of the Lord and the Word of the Lord. A voice from heaven, a dream, a word from a prophet, a theophany, a burning bush, those were sufficient forms of communication for God, but they were not the fullness of His communication. That took place when Jesus Christ came to earth. When Jesus ascended into heaven, there was another transition that took place. Jesus began to speak through His apostles by the power of His Holy Spirit. The purpose for which was to preserve Jesus for us in Scripture. So you and I weren't alive during the time of Jesus. We weren't there during His ministry. We didn't hear Him teach. We didn't hear Him preach. We didn't see Him heal and exercise demons. We weren't there when He was crucified. We didn't touch His body when He was raised from the grave. He didn't appear to us like He did to the 5,000. Has God so arranged history that we just happen to miss the most important speech that God ever gave in the incarnation of Jesus Christ? No. No, He made a way for us to hear the word of Jesus Christ. And that's what Scripture is. There may be times where God still speaks to you through things like impressions, right? I feel like the Lord's leading me in one direction. The Lord still speaks to us providentially. You know, He arranges events in our lives in order to communicate with us. The Lord may give a vision to uh, a Muslim in a particular context where there's no Bible or no missionary, no one to communicate the gospel. But all of those are subjective. Could be, could not be, not really sure. The dream could be from the Lord, it could not be. The impression could be just the sinful thing that I want to do and it could not be from God. That sort of thing. But God has authoritatively and infallibly communicated His Word to us in the Bible. 2 Timothy says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. All of this, all of this, it's breathed out by God. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Now, what, what Timothy is saying, excuse me, what Paul is saying to Timothy is that there's something that God's people need, and there's a way that God intends to accomplish that thing. The people need to be built up, and so God gives His Word to His people, and the way that He does that is through the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, God's Word is sufficient. It, it is what we need. There are other things that are helpful, but if, if all the other books disappeared, if all the other helps that we have to get by in this world just completely evaporated, God has given us everything that we need in the text to be able to do exactly what He calls us to do as His people. Timothy says, excuse me, Paul says to Timothy that God's Word is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training, for building us up. The really cool part of where we live in salvation history, brothers and sisters, is that every single child of God can now say to his neighbor, to his brother or sister, thus says the Lord. But, now when we say that, we just open up the Bible. We open up Scripture. You can say, I have a word from God for you, brother. But then rather depending, you know, rather than relying on your own impressions, you just open up to Romans 1 or Ephesians 4 or Deuteronomy. A lot of good stuff in Deuteronomy. This kind of communication, this speaking of God's word to one another, this is how God's people are called to build up the church. The Lord has a plan for building his people. And wherever you go in the Bible, the plan for building up His people is by communicating His Word to them. That's the whole point of what we're talking about in Malachi this morning. There's a problem with the people of God, Israel. They've built the temple, and then they've gotten complacent. It's been a hundred years, and a hundred years is a long time for complacency. And then they've become corrupt. And God says, we need to fix this. I want to build you up into the fullness that you are called to be as my people. And the way that he goes about accomplishing that end is by communicating his word to them. Well, that's still the way that God is working among us today, brothers and sisters. The only way that God is going to build this church, his church, is by his word being spoken. That is God's discipleship plan. Ephesians 4.15 says it like this, Speaking the truth in love, well, what truth? the truth of God's Word. Speaking the truth in love, we, the church, will grow to become in every way like Him who is the head. That is Jesus Christ. If this is true, it should influence everything about the way that we do life together. If this is the way that God intends to build His people up into maturity, if this is the way that God intends for us to become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, that should influence the way that we do things. Everything that we do in the life of this church should be saturated with Scripture. It should revolve around Scripture. It should be steeped in Scripture. It should draw deeply from the wells of Scripture, from the songs that we sing to the music that we excuse me, from the songs that we sing to the prayers that we pray. If this is true, we should read Scripture on Sunday mornings. 
if this is true, we should spend time on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings opening up God's Word and expounding it, trying to see what it means. If this is true when we're having conversations with one another about various life issues, things that are just going on in our lives, looking for advice, giving advice, we should just take, we should just take 20 seconds and say, hey man, let me, let me pull out my Bible. Let me see what God has to say about this. I think I know a scripture that might be helpful for you here. This is why we read good books, why we should read good books, that help us to better understand Scripture. This is why we examine every part of our life together as a church to see if it's fully in line with Scripture. This is why we should read Scripture to our children, why we should wash our wives with the water of the Word. This is why the Scripture should be on our lips and tongue constantly as we rise up in the morning, as we go down at night, as we walk by the way. This is the reason why Scripture should be adorning the walls of our homes. Because Scripture is what God is going to use. He uses His Word to build His people. Now, before I close, I want to let you know what the rest of the book of Malachi is going to look like. The book of Malachi consists of six disputes. Six disputes. In these disputes, God is having imaginary arguments with His people. God is coming to His people and He's saying, You're corrupt, Israel. And Israel will respond and say, We're not corrupt. What are you talking about? And God will say, Well, you are corrupt. And then He'll render the final judgment. He'll give the final word. He'll get the last word in the argument. These disputations are about love. They're about polluted offerings. They're about a corrupt priesthood, idolatry, marriage, divorce, and money. Seems pretty relevant for us today, does it not? And that's followed up by an appendix where Malachi sort of wraps everything up together. There's a list. It's good stuff. God is going to have a lot to say to us in the coming months as we walk through Malachi. And I pray that as a church, we'll be eager to hear His voice. Amen? Let's pray. Your Word is truth, Lord. Your Word gives us life. Help us to shut out all of the words of the world that we might focus in and hear your voice. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.